good morning. Thanks to Pastor Jonathan for a welcome this morning. How are we doing today? Good. Good to see you. Let me invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Excited about this morning, not just for the text, uh, but it is a really special day in the life of our church, if you're part of this church family. Uh, this is a really special day that we get to set aside, and later on in the service, we're going to uh, install and pray over some new elders, so thank God for them, and excited about that. Uh, but also excited about 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to jump into verse 13. This is week 3 uh, for us, uh, walking through this book called 1 Peter and I know many of you are new to church, some of you are brand new to church, some of you, uh, this is literally your first time in a church back, uh, maybe for a long time, maybe for the first time. Um, and so we always want to catch people up to speed and let you know where we're going, but particularly uh, with, with the, the sermon today, because he's going to start with a therefore, right? He's going to start with a shift that he's going to basically say, in light of everything he's just written, or for us that we have spent the last two weeks looking at, in light of those things, now these things are true, uh, and so th this is important things for us to know, but it's also really important to know that what he is saying is built on a foundation that he has already laid in verses 1 through 12, uh, and I'm going to back up even a little bit further than that too, uh, to the ministry of Jesus uh, and to see and explore a little bit about what Jesus was doing with his disciples, that his disciples then would do with their disciples that uh, God's word does with us and for us. So when Jesus was uh, living his ministry, uh, he, he was doing a lot of things. There were a lot of goals that he had. He was teaching about the kingdom so that he could uh, rightly educate people on uh, the kingdom of heaven and, and how you enter into the kingdom of heaven. There was a, a big teaching component. Uh, there was uh, miracles where he was truly proving to people that he was God in the flesh. Um, but there was also a training aspect of his ministry um, that he was focusing a lot of his time trying to to train particularly 12 disciples to be ready and able uh, to, to move uh, the mission of the gospel forward, uh, to move the New Testament church forward. And if you take a little perusal through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you just look at the interaction that Jesus has with his disciples, uh, you find out that he did not sugarcoat things. Uh, he, he was very purposeful trying to prepare his disciples to advance the kingdom in a, a very difficult world and in a very hostile situation. And he didn't try to pretend that wasn't true. I think that would have been obviously incredibly unfair if Jesus knew there was a lot of suffering and difficulty coming but did not prepare them for that. Um, so he said things like, uh, you're, you're going to be hated by, by people because you belong to me. They hated me. They're going to hate you. Uh, he's going to say, as you're my witnesses, um, there's going to be pressure. He says that you're going to uh, push back the gates of hell. They won't prevail against you. And so Jesus spent a lot of his time trying to prepare his disciples how to be faithful in the middle of a very hostile world. I, it's, it's, it's no surprise then that Peter and John and James uh, and those 12 disciples and then later the apostle Paul uh, who would take on the mantle of apostles, that they would do the same thing with their followers, um, that they would relay some of the things that Jesus told them, but they were trying to prepare their people to be faithful exiles, to be faithful Christians in a very difficult and a very hostile world. Could you imagine um, if, if they were telling their followers of Jesus just some of the things um, that um, kind of pass today as 
this Bible teaching or Christian doctrine that's just honestly absolute garbage, uh, that if they, if they share the same things that some of us hear, they're like, oh, you, you be, be a Christian, it's going to be great, you're not going to have any problems, the culture and the world are going to love you, they're going to embrace you, you're going to have no health problems, no suffering, no affliction. Like, what on earth would have happened if they would have painted that picture and then sent them out into the world and, and into reality and into a spiritual battle? I don't think, obviously, they would have been prepared, uh, and they would have been caught off guard thinking they had stepped into something that was completely unexpected. Could you imagine if the disciples had withheld some information from their people, but they didn't. They did what Jesus did, and they prepared them to live their lives faithfully as exiles. Uh, And so you kind of look how Jesus did it, how the disciples do it. Now for us, uh, in so many ways, that this is our turn, um, that we have the baton, so to speak, uh, of the gospel for our city, for our families, for our culture, for this generation. Uh, And as we're walking through 1 Peter, what 1 Peter, what, what, what God is doing through the book of 1 Peter is preparing us to live faithful lives in reality. And the reality for us is that this is not a neutral world. We have stepped into a spiritual battle, uh, that this is a battleground. There are two opposing forces, good and evil, God and Satan, uh, at war over the same ground, the same hearts, the same people. And, And this is God's word preparing us to live faithfully in a very hostile context. And I will say this, there's a lot at stake. There was a lot at stake for Jesus' disciples to hear from him what was coming and how to be prepared. There's a lot at stake for us to understand uh, what it truly means to be a faithful exile in a difficult and hostile world. Uh, The first thing that's at stake is just simply us. Like, Like for us to navigate life and to be healthy Christians, we need to know what's coming and be prepared. Um, But also there's a lot at stake for the world um, that we have been put into. Like God has sent us and and placed us here to have a helpful gospel presence, uh, what Jesus calls salt and light, to be helpful, and we're only helpful uh, to to, to the degree that we are distinctly Christian. So there's a lot at stake for us learning how to live in the world but not of the world or how to be faithful exiles uh, in a world that is incredibly dark. Uh, And the darker the night gets, the brighter the light needs to be. So there's a lot at stake for us. Uh, And so as we jump into 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13, uh, the first word kind of out of the gate is therefore. Everybody say therefore. All right, obviously, I like a good dad joke, uh, never let one pass by. And the old adage is, if you see a therefore, you have to make sure you pause and see what it is there for. Uh, kind of cheesy, but very, very true. Uh, it, it's so incredibly important to understand that this therefore is a conjunction. Some of you might even call it a conjunction junction, like two different ideas. And so you have to think, what's your function? Right, conjunction. This is linking two different ideas. That was a horrible, horrible dad. That was a granddad joke. I am, uh, I am getting there. That's my goal in life is to be able to get away with things like that. Uh, like it, it's, He's linking two different things. Imagine if you kind of came in late to the service. I know none of y'all have ever done that. Use your imaginations. You come in late for a service, and, and I just say, and if you do that, you'll be a millionaire. What would you think? I wish I was on time. 
That's what you would think. No, if you walked into the middle and the last part is so good, uh, but you would realize, oh my goodness, I missed something. Uh, th- th- I don't know if any of you are fans of The Office. Uh, my wife and I, I think, are on our second uh, wave through watching The Office. There is a character uh, in The Office named Jim, and he's having a prank call one time. I'm sure it was Dwight. I uh, can't remember exactly, but he's on the phone and he's pretending like it's cutting out. And so he just says, you know, if you will cut, then you will be saved. And he's free. He's like, oh my gosh, what did you say? What was the, what was the first half? Right? Like, if there's a therefore, you can't just start with the therefore and move forward. We have to understand what was there in the beginning, uh, and, and namely what Jesus has done through the Apostle Peter is he has, he has explained the gospel, right? The gospel, who Jesus Christ is, what he has done, and for those who belong to him, now that we are reborn, we're made new, everything is completely new for us because of the gospel. Now, therefore, because of those things, then he's going to instruct us on being faithful Christians in the world. But you can't miss that, uh, that conjunction. Uh, you can't miss that, therefore. Uh, I, will, I will say this, that if you, if you just kind of start with the therefore, maybe this is your first time at Redeemer and you're coming in and you're going to hear a therefore and just a little bit of a spoiler alert. What he's about to say after the therefore is instructions for Christians on how to live our lives. But if you just come in with the therefore, I would make the case that if you remove the part A or what comes before the therefore, you remove the heart of the gospel which I think is what a lot of West Texans have heard. You've heard kind of the therefore and forward. You come into a church, you go to a Bible study, and you just hear, maybe it was because that's how it was communicated to you, maybe that's just what we hear, but you just kind of hear, okay, you need to be a good person, you need to live like a Christian, you need to do this, you need to stop doing that, and if you just simply start in verse 13, we have completely gutted the gospel of the power to actually do the therefore. So like, we're going to start in verse 13 because we've already done the work, but if you're just landing with us, I would encourage you to go back and listen, go back and look, because what he is laying the foundation of in the first 12 verses is that Jesus has done something for us and in us that has completely made us new, that we're born again, we're forgiven, we're redeemed, we're brand new creatures. Now, in light of that, he's going to teach us how to live in the world, but we can't miss the therefore. That's a really, really huge therefore. Uh, Therefore, and and so like that therefore lands in most books of the Bible in some form or fashion. It's not always a big one word transition, therefore, but uh, the, the, the two parts of Christianity are consistently found uh, in, in multiple books of the Bible, uh, and they, they're always put in this order, identity and then activity. Okay, this is who you are in Christ. This is what Jesus has done. If you respond to the gospel, this is now true of you. If the Holy Spirit is in you, this is who you are. This is your identity. Now, in light of your identity, here's what you need to do. Here's what your activity should look like. It's always gospel first and then implications of the gospel. Uh, it's always who we are first and then it's what we do. Uh, or, or one last way to phrase that. It's always birth, new birth, before learning to grow as a Christian. Please don't come in mid-series, mid-sermon and start with the therefore and trying to, uh, to, to manage your life 
life and change some things and act like a Christian before having your life transformed by the gospel. This, therefore, is so incredibly important. He says, therefore, because of who you are in Christ, new creation, you're, you're born again, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Um, and honestly, we could spend uh, at least a full sermon on each one of those two ideas. He says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, both of those uh, have to do with how you think, uh, how you think, what you think, uh, how you engage your mind. Uh, maybe you like the King James Version a little better. Uh, the King James Version says, gird up the loins of your mind. How many of you like, no, that, I like that better. Like, like the, the girding of the loins uh, would, would be a kind of a military term uh, in a sense that uh, when some soldiers were preparing for battle, if they had a kind of a, a robe or some kind of a dress, I don't know what they would call it, it was a man, like a man skirt, uh, then in order to be prepared to engage in battle, they would have to uh, cinch it up, pull it up, tie it up, and, and gird their loins, spend some time preparing so that they could get into battle. Uh, Peter is saying, if you're a Christian, you, you've come in to the kingdom by grace through faith in Christ. Now you need to prepare your minds, gird up the loins of your minds, because if you're going to engage in this world, if you're going to be a faithful Christian in a hostile world, there has to be a difference in the way that you think. When Jesus saves someone, he begins a process of changing the way that we think uh, Paul says it this way. He says, don't be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That the, the, like Humans' minds are, are, are broken in a sense. They're deceived. And, and part of the gospel's work is not just to change our, our identity, not just to change our eternity, but to truly change our, our worldview and how we think and, how, uh, and what we think, changing our mind. He says, preparing your minds for action and so this picture is maybe a, you know, a group of soldiers that know there's a battle coming, and so they're spending some time preparing, they're spending some time uh, getting their, their, their boots ready and cinched up, making sure all their gear is clean and functional, getting their weapons ready. They are taking time to prepare because they know uh, that a battle is coming. That's what Peter's saying for the Christian. You know the battle is coming, so you need to take some time to prepare your minds for action. Uh, what does that look like? What does it actually look like if you're just reading this, you're, let's say you're a brand new Christian, never heard any of this, you get this letter from Peter, you're frantically trying to take notes to figure out what you're supposed to do, uh, to take his advice, and he says to prepare your minds for action and to be sober-minded. Um, there, there's so many things about the Christian mind that need to be informed and reformed by Scripture, by God. We have to change what we think, right, on certain things. We have to change how we think. We have to make sure that we are not just simply driven by emotion, right? I, I think emotions are good. They're made from God. They have their place, but uh, they can't drive behavior based on what we feel. Um, we, we have to change the way that we think. Uh, they can't be driven uh, by greed or by success, um, that we have to rethink what a win is when we come into the kingdom and what is most important. Uh, again, as Paul says, that we can't be conformed any longer, 
and, and some of you have heard this analogy. The word that Paul uses when he's talking about the, the way our minds used to work before we were Christians versus how they're being transformed to work is that, they're, that you think about a sponge uh, that is shoved into a bottle, that it just kind of, it doesn't change the, 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 the makeup of the sponge, but the sponge fills up to fit the shape that it's been put in. It's conformed to the shape. Paul says, don't be conformed. Don't, don't act like and think like and look like uh, you did before you were a Christian or those non-Christians around you. Don't be conformed any longer, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of our minds. We have to change what and how we think. We can't be controlled. Write this down. Our minds cannot be controlled by politics and media. Politics and media try to paint a picture, and they'll even try to paint a picture for Christians, for this is how you need to act and what you need to think. Uh, and we need to have our minds informed by Scripture more than politics and news sources and media uh, to learn to have what Paul calls the mind of Christ. And then he says to be sober-minded. To be sober-minded. What does that mean? The, uh, the opposite of that would obviously be drunk-minded or not having our wits about us. To be sober-minded is to have a clear reality of the world that we live in, right? To, be, to have our minds prepared for action and to be sober-minded. In, in some sense, I think this is Peter preparing them, God preparing us, um, that the world is hostile. The world hates Jesus. The world always has, always will until Jesus changes them. And we have been called into that. We have to prepare our minds, be sober-minded that there is a lot at stake for us. To be sober-minded. He keeps going. And set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, he's asking them to, he says, set your hope, like t put your anchor, set your, set, set, set your e eternal hope, not on obviously things in this world that can change, that can die, that can go up and down. Don't put your hope in your health. Don't put your hope in your marriage. Don't put your hope in the economy. Don't put your hope in a political leader. Put your hope fully, not even on Jesus in the present. He says, on, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying, and this is so important. We, we talked about this last week, that the, sometimes the easier our life is here, that we have comforts, we have a bank account with some savings, we have some health insurance, um, the less we even contemplate or think about, much less lean into and long for and hope for heaven but Peter is saying, if you're going to be a faithful Christian and a faithful exile in the world, you're going to have to learn to set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to you. What does that mean? That it means at some point in our daily rhythms, our weekly rhythms in life, we need to learn to lean in and look forward to the second coming more than just the comforts of this life. And to think about eternity and live this life now in light of eternity. And I know, I know some people, maybe your first reaction to that is um, the, the kind of adage that I heard a lot growing up. That, well, if I do that, won't I become very ineffective here? Uh, the, the phrase that I heard a lot growing up was that somebody can be so heavenly minded that they are what? That they're no earthly good. I'm sure you've heard that. Oh, I don't want to be so caught up in the clouds and expecting Jesus to come back in heaven. I like be so leaning into that that I'm not helpful here. Uh, but but you just you just don't see that in the scriptures. L let me read a couple things to you. Jesus says, "What does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul?" Right? If you, if you win in everything, but you haven't leaned in, he's like, well, you, you've missed something. You've forfeited the most important thing. Um, 
goodness. I, I, I want to come, come work through a couple things here. Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. That's him saying, no, you, you need to think about and to focus on the grace that's coming when Jesus Christ is revealed. You need to think about it. You need to lean into it. And then if you do, everything else in the here and now will take care of itself. Uh, Paul says this, set your mind on things above, right, not on things below. And if you do, that will actually make you better here. If, uh, if, if, if you're like me, I, I try to filter in um, a handful of different really good, solid biographies uh, of Christians over the years. Uh, every year I try to pick a couple. And what you find out is that people that left a mark on the planet, uh, it's, it's because of this. They, they left a mark on planet Earth and they let their lives be used by God to change others because they were thinking about something bigger, better future. Okay, C.S. Lewis, I think I've probably quoted this before, but uh, it's worth quoting again. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, if you read history, then you'll find that the Christians who did most for this present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so, effect so ineffective in this. Peter actually told them, I want you to, to, to think about this, to, to meditate on it, to absorb it. He said, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you think consistently about that day and that reality, it will change the way that you live. It will put things into a right perspective. I don't know if any of you have ever had a, a, a brush with death or, or, or some type of diagnosis that you've had, but uh, it, normally if you have something like that, it does something to not make you ineffective in the here and now, but it, it changes your perspective where, where, where you see things differently and then you become wiser in the way that you use your time. Because the more that you know the end is coming, it doesn't make you foolish. It, it makes you wise. It makes you think clearly about the here and now. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then verse 14, let's keep going. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What is Peter saying? P Peter knows that there's a lot of people that were brand new Christians. Most of these people that received this letter for the first time, first generation Christians. Probably their parents weren't believers. This was all brand new to them. They're, they're learning how to live their lives. They're learning to, uh, to, to live in a different way. They're learning to uh, what, what is sin, what is not sin. And so like Peter knows there's going to be a tendency when life gets hard as a Christian to want to go back to their old lifestyle, uh, to go back to their old sins, to go back to their old habits. And so he says, as obedient children, you're children of God, not just children, obedient children that are seeking to obey God, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't go back to your old ways. Don't go back to your old sins. Don't go back to your old lifestyles. In uh, 1519, I'm sure many of y'all know this story. Um, Cortez uh, was uh, out sailing, and he, uh, quote, unquote, discovered Mexico. Uh, he landed uh, on, uh, on, on the beaches of Tabasco, 
which uh, I didn't even know Tabasco went back that far. But he lands on Tabasco in the spring of 1519. Uh, and as the story goes, I don't know that history would validate this, but uh, he got there and he knew there was a lot of uh, like battles and war for them and probably sickness. And uh, so he's trying to, to mobilize his army to uh, kind of move inland and take the land. And he knew that there was going to be a tendency for them to want to give up when things got hard, uh, to want to quit, to want to get back on the ships and go back home where it was much easier. And, and so as as the, the story goes, uh, and as the Stephen Curtis Chapman song goes, he's, he burnt the ships, right? He's like, no, we're not doing this. We're here to stay. We have a mission to accomplish. And so he burned his ships. Why? So they couldn't go back. Like, that's a pretty dramatic example. But, the, like, like, there's a way in which when you become a Christian, like, burn the ships, for all the ways that you used to live, all the futile thinking, all the sinful habits that you had, you've been called to a new life. It's going to be hard. So there's going to be moments of suffering. There's going to be difficulties and casualties along the way. Don't go back. If you're a new believer, let's say you have been become a believer in the last I would say maybe 12 to 24 months. Uh, I, I would think that this is very particularly for you because the earlier you are on in your journey, sometimes the more of a tendency is there to go back to what? The, the, the passions of your former ignorance. You say, don't do that. Don't do that. Verse 15, but. Here's another big transition. Don't do that, but do this. But as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Everybody say holy. Okay, everybody say holy. holy. Everybody say holy. holy. Why did I make you do it three times? Not my normal reasoning um, to like get you, you know, excited, make sure you're awake. Because most of the times in the Bible, when the word holy shows up, it's in threes. Um, I, I think it's because it's, it's perhaps the, the most transcendent, the, the most dominant characteristic of God, that God is holy. So most of the time when there's a description of God as holy, it's God is holy, holy, holy. There's an entire book that's a fantastic read, R.C. Sproul, called The Holiness of God, that I would encourage you to dive into on this topic. But uh, let's talk about holiness for a minute, okay? Because it's incredibly important. Peter says, uh, he who called you, God, is holy, and so you need to be holy because you're becoming like him. So three questions I want to ask. What is, and, and again, one of these, probably not the best grammar, but work with me. Um, what is holiness? We'll look at. Second, why be holy? Third, where be holy? Okay, what is holiness, just for my sake, everybody say it again, holy. This is big idea, huge foundational idea, not just to the Bible, but understanding the God that we love and we serve, the God that made us. Uh, this idea of holiness means, um, it means different, it means set apart, it means otherworldly, uh, and, and then there's also a way in which that it means morally perfect or absolutely sinless and perfectly righteous, that God is different. He's not like us. If we were to line everybody on the planet up and to think about the best one, it's not him. He's in a different category of uh, that he has created us. He's holy. He is different. He is otherworldly. He's perfect. He's righteous. That's the God that has called us, that has adopted us, that has saved us. 
so that we might be his children and learn to be like him. What? Learn to be holy like him. Learn to be different than the culture we've been called out of. Right? Learn to be different and distinct and salt and light to the culture that we belong, uh, that, that we used to belong to. And, and there's a cost for that. Right? If you start changing the, what you do and how you behave and what you believe from your culture uh, to be like God who is different, that, that you're going to begin to stand out and there's going to be, and this, this is true in our culture, an increasing price tag towards being holy. What is holiness? It's the chief attribute of God. Uh, it's, it's different. It's otherworldly. So then the second question becomes, uh, why should Christians um, be holy? Why should Christians try to live holy lives, try to grow in godliness, try to learn to turn from uh, and repent of sin? And the very short answer is right there in verse 16. Um, be holy for God is holy. Like if we're Christians, then God is remaking us into his image. If we're going to be like God, we're going to grow in holiness. It doesn't make sense for somebody to say, well, I want to be a Christian. I just want to also live how I want. I don't want nobody telling me what I can or can't do. I don't want God giving me a list of things I can or can't do. I want to belong to God, but I don't want to be like him. Like the point of belonging to God is to become like him. And that's a good thing. All right, what, an, what an unbelievable gift that God has committed to making us like him. Be holy. Why? Because God is holy. And then the third part of this, where in our lives should we be holy? Okay. Just so you know, I didn't make this up. Look in your Bibles at verse 15. But he who called you is holy, so also be holy in, everybody say it real loud. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what am I doing wrong? Okay, everybody say it real quiet. Thank you. <laughs> I got to work on this. You also be holy. Like Peter is literally telling Christians, be holy in everything you do, all your conduct, your financial dealings, be holy. Okay, you didn't used to be like that before you were saved, but now you're different, so be holy. Like, don't, don't treat customers the same way that you used to. Uh, don't cut corners like you used to. Don't uh, be greedy and just self-focused like you used to. Like, in, in your finances, be holy. Well, what about in your sexuality? This comes up all the time. In, in, in most books of the Bible, th there's all sorts of rampant sexual sin that happens before you come to Christ. And then when you come to Christ, things change. They should change. They need to change. They must change because we're, we're trying to be holy like he's holy. If you're a Christian in the room, all conduct applies to your sexuality, it applies to your physical sexuality. Don't sleep around, right? If you call yourself a Christian, if you're being made into the image of God, don't go back to your old passions and your old lusts. Be holy in your mind, in your thoughts, in, your, in what you see, what you click on. Don't go back to the old ways. Be holy. Why? Because God who called you is holy. He's making you like him. And we could run through a whole long list because um, there's a lot of things that fit underneath the category of all, right? Everything. Like how you deal with your spouse changes. Be holy in all your conduct. How you deal with your enemies, people that don't like you, people that slander you, people that gossip about you. 
How you deal with your kids changes if you're trying to be holy. How you deal with your parents changes everything. All your conduct. How you handle friendships. How you handle yourself online. Be holy in all your conduct. We should probably give some, some thought to this. Uh, some time to not just think about it, but to pray uh, as, as David did often. He said, Lord, would you just kind of filter through and, and, and tell me if there's any wicked way. If I'm, if I'm sinning and I'm not, like some of you right now, you're living in some sin. You're very aware of it, okay? You, you, need, to, you need to repent. You need to turn. Some of you, maybe, maybe you're unaware. And you ask that question, the Holy Spirit comes in, stirs up, makes you aware of something. Like, like God is making us like him. What an unbelievable gift. Be holy, Peter says. See, see? If you come into the sermon in this point, then you can spend a lot of your, your time trying to be holy, yet not positionally be changed and saved. It's so important that we caught the beginning of the therefore. Uh, verse 17. Honestly, we're just going to read 17 all the way through 25 in one fell swoop because uh, it, it seems to me right here that Peter's going to kind of go full preacher mode. He's going to kind of go off a little bit and just go back and forth of the beauties of who Jesus Christ is and then what we've been invited into. And he's going to play ping pong a little bit between us and Jesus. Uh, just, just some really beautiful things. I want to read these to you, read these over you uh, from, from, from the heart of the apostle Peter uh, straight to you. Peter says this, verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, and you weren't, listen, he, 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 it's so beautiful how he says this, not with perishable things as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls, by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We need you. We praise you. I pray that you would convince our hearts, God, this morning of your holiness. Help us to understand what it means that you are so high, so exalted, so different, so righteous, that you're so other. It's even hard for us to understand, hard for us to fathom. Would you convince us of your holiness? God, help us to feel the, the beauty that you've called us in to be holy, that you're making us like Jesus. You're like a master sculptor. You're chiseling off the things that are ungodly, the things that are ungood, the things that are unholy. You're chiseling them away. You're adding the things that we need. You're committed to making us look like Jesus. God, I pray that you would give us a deep sense of humility, 
God, for those in this room that need to deal with the sin that they have slidden back into, I pray that you would remind them of the gospel first. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but we have been called to holiness because the God we love, the God we serve, the God who has called us is holy. You're making us like you. So help us not to kick against the goats. God, I pray that you would help us as a church family to be a faithful witness in Midland. God, help us to be distinctly different, to be salt, to be light, to be helpful. And God, above all things, I pray that you might help us to exalt the name of Christ. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you. And I pray this all through the name of Christ. Everybody's said. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.